Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit Reloaded. I'm Sandra Patel, founder and CEO of Transition Partners. This season, I'm flying solo as I sit down with international leaders to discuss their leadership journeys and how they have embedded a thriving and positive culture. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name is Sandra Patel and I'm delighted to be back here recording today. Um, So today I'd love to welcome Kat Blight, who is the Chief Operating Officer um, at a business consultancy called Curious. Hi everyone. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Curious you have, yes. We get many versions of it, but Curious is right. Oh, good. Fantastic. Not not usually my strong point, so I'm glad I got that right <laughs> first time around. Um, fantastic. Like I said, it's really great to have you on board. We haven't spoken before, so I'm really interested in this being, you know, cause sometimes I record these and it, it's with people that I've known for quite a long time. So I already kind of know a lot about them and their journey. And and, um, and I love these um, podcasts because it's an opportunity to share our experiences and challenges in our journeys with our network and give back but I feel like on this one I'm going to get to find out quite a lot myself as well and and learn from it so um I think what would be really good initially um Kat is if you could just start off by giving a really quick um whistle stop 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 the my words um whistle stop tour of your background and your journey and kind of how you got to where you are today yeah, of course. Um, so thank you very much for having me, Sandra. Delighted to join you today. Um, so I've been with Curious now for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, um, have worked in varying industries with a background mainly in projects and program management. So um, if you ask 16-year-old me if she thought she would be the COO of a digital transformation agency when it was 2023, I would not have said yes. Um, however, <laughs> very glad to find myself here. Um, So my career has been a little bit of a squiggly one. I did history and French at uni, wasn't sure what to do with that, decided I wanted to try and, you know, make a big career for myself. So I ended up working at the big four for a little while, decided I didn't want to be an accountant, um, wanted to try and use the French part of my degree. So I ended up in manufacturing in a company that worked internationally, stayed there for a little while and moved into projects there and then just went from there. So I was with them doing projects for about three years. And then I moved on to NPower and worked my way up through their project management um, team. Then I went across to another manufacturing agency before I joined Curious in 2019. Fantastic, brilliant. And so was there a, when you worked at the last sort of manufacturing company before joining Curious, was there a bit of a, a jump in terms of like step up for you and um, a challenge there? So um, in terms of my role and the move from there to here, um, no, so I left a job as a programme director there and joined a job as a programme director here. Um, So in terms of seniority and sort of skill set, it was very, very similar. Um, And then whilst I've been here, I've moved into the COO role. Yeah. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, So... I understand Curious went through a um, rebranding um, exercise back in 2020, um, which yeah. must have been during um, the first COVID lockdown. Um, yeah. 
yeah, because we're like three years on now, aren't we? Um, I know, how time flies. I know, it's mad, isn't it? Um, how did you as a leader influence that cultural change and, and drive that through through the business? Um, so for us, COVID was not in the plan, as you can imagine. <laughs> Um, we were always planning to rebrand and relaunch the business as Curious mm. from the 1st of April 2020. But obviously about a week before that, the world turned upside down. Um, but you can't stop plans that you've got in motion. So we still wanted to go ahead with that. It just added extra nuance to that cultural shift just to try mm. and manage that when everybody was working from home and they hadn't been working from home before. Um, so... For me, any cultural change is always going to be the hardest part of any business change that happens. It was the hardest part for us internally when we work with clients on their transformation programs. We always tell them it's going to be the hardest part because it's people change and it's emotive. So for me, the main thing that I could do to influence that was communication and, and making sure that the team knew that the strategy that we had and the rebrand was all aligned with culture and made sure that any comms that went out were focused on why we were making the changes, not necessarily the nitty gritty, like how and what they would be. It was more around making sure that people understood what was happening and felt part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we were lucky that we started that journey before COVID happened. Um, so when we rebranded, we got all new values for the business as part of that cultural change. And we spent um, some time off site with the team to try and help them understand that it wasn't this sort of big, hairy, scary change that was going to come and that they were going to panic and think, how do we embody those values? Because it's different to what we are now. Mm. So we spent a lot of time leading them through how those values translated into day-to-day -day activities and how that could, how they embodied those values already and how we could help them to enhance how they embodied those values more so than by making them do things that to them was really out of character or uncomfortable um so i spent a lot of time in my role talking to people um, i find that the very best way to do any sort of cultural change um and leading by example my remit here is operation of the entire business so working with the senior leadership team and leading our leaders through that change so that they could in turn embody what we wanted to see from the rest of the team. So that do as I do rather than do what I say. Um, I also found it was really important not to focus on, to articulate the big picture, yes, but not to focus on it so that it felt this sort of big and tangible beast that people didn't quite know what to do with. So we looked at sort of smaller critical changes that we were going to make and broke it down as we went through the rebrand rather than being like, right, bang, from the 1st of April, you all now live to these values. This is what the business looks like. This is what the service offer looks like. We hope you get on board. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had a team that came through that cultural change with us who'd been here through what the business was before the rebrand. So I was really cognizant of not forgetting the good parts of the business before the rebrand and making sure that those values and the strengths of that culture followed into where we are now. Um, and we've been really keen on instilling a culture of accountability here and we hire on culture, everything we do, culture runs through it. Um, and to, to build in that accountability and, and make sure that everybody felt a part of that, we measure it, we do team touch points, we do team surveys, we care about celebrating successes and making sure that 
you know, our values and our culture aren't just words on a wall or in a nice marketing deck, that it is what we do and it's how we live and breathe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if anybody was to ask me how they would navigate a team through something like that, especially with what was going on in the rest of the world at the time, it's talking, it's checking in with teams, it's doing surveys, it's being open forum and living through how you want the company to work. Um, you know, and it's something we still work on now where we refresh our values as the world changes and the business changes because it doesn't, we don't want it to stagnate. It doesn't stand still. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And it sounds like you, I can imagine it would have been a really difficult and challenging time um, and having not expected lockdown and, and COVID um, just before that rebrand. Um, but then on the flip side, a real positive to be in a position to still see that through. Um, and I th I'm sure it would have helped quite a lot of the people from, um, you know, a mindset point of view um, as well. So, um, and, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with like the, when you're ever, ever you're implementing any kind of cultural change, it is all about the people and to ensure that that communication isn't just, you know, at the start of the change, but it's consistent all the way through where I feel that some businesses, um, you know, do do struggle with that at times. And it's, it's difficult when you've got, when you're spinning so many different plates as well, isn't it, to ensure that your efforts and your attention are focused on the people and the right people and the right things. Definitely, um, and we've seen that in people that have joined us since we did that rebrand mm -hmm. and since we've made those cultural changes. You know, we've heard that through feedback that it's different to where people have been before. And I think, you know, COVID almost, no one would look at it and think like, oh, it was brilliant. But, you know, some positive stuff came out of it. The team probably got to know each other better than we have before. I mean, gosh, I, um, my daughter, my eldest daughter was just gone one when we went into lockdown. So it was like full-time baby at home, full-time working at home, trying to navigate through a rebrand. But everybody had that. So my kids now are just part of the team. It's not an yeah. for them to join as well. I think, in fact, he's been on one of these podcasts before <laughs> on the screen. Um, fantastic. And following on from that um, rebrand then and the cultural change, you've now, um, obviously, you've got a company that's overall, I understand, 67% um, female, um, which is fantastic. Um, and, and obviously 50% um, female in the leadership team as well, which is, which I think from... Other, other businesses and other kind of CEOs and, and, and CEOs I've, I've kind of spoken to at this level, um, have, it's quite unusual in this industry. Um, so can you share, um, you know, is there anything that you can share around that in terms of like experiences, learner, uh, learnings um, around, you know, how you achieve that, um, if there's anything that you did differently that others may be able to do? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think, um, actually, since we last spoke before we did this, our um, ratios have changed slightly. So we've now got three of the five of us in the senior team are women now, um, which completely agree is practically unheard of, especially in the industry that we're in around technology. Um, and for me, having women in technology and women in leadership within technology, it's, it's not just representation. That's not enough. It's cultural change. Um, you know, we recognize that we advocate for women in our business um, and we know that that starts from the top. It's lived every day through the culture that we have. Um, 
we are unique in our industry, as I've said, for having a predominantly female workforce. And we view that as a strength because of the nature of work that we do. We know that having women on the team gives completely different perspectives to business challenges and solving problems. And we are keen to continue to support women into tech um, and into leadership within our business and promote women. Um, we are not, nor will we ever be, one of those companies that has quotas that they need to hit or predisposed ideas of the, of the gender or orientation of any given person that, that might come into a role with us. Um, you know, we hire people on cultural fit because it's, culture is so important to us. And we know that, you know, skill can be taught, competency can be taught, training can be done for things like that. But finding the right people for the business is much more important so you know when we interview people it's not a traditional interview process um, we bring we will phone screen and then we'll bring people in to meet the team and see if they like working with us as much as we like working with them it's it's very much a two-way street for us in that and and in doing that cultural hire rather than competency hire we find that that gives us as a business, a competitive advantage, because, you know, if we come across any obstacles as a business or a team, we've got that cohesive culture that we can overcome that adversity more quickly. Um, so I believe we are very lucky to have the female split that we have. We see that that's recognized within the industry as an employer and from an employer brand perspective, because we see that we appeal to female applicants. We see that in the ratio split of the applications that we get. Um, and I've built the policies that we have here around making being a woman in this industry easier as, as you know, as much as I can. So when we say we're flexible, we are, I can go and do the nursery drop off and I can do the nursery pickup and that's not, you know, nobody looks down on that. And we've got enhanced parental leave packages and menopause policies, wellbeing policies, everything that we can do to try and make any of that gender bias or difficulty for women to get into leadership or the industry that we work in, we will try and break those barriers down. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, all really positive. And, and you know, if, if I'm honest, there's, from my, I mean, from my perspective, I'm, you know, speak with um, clients on a day-to-day -day basis regarding their recruitment needs. And, and there's far too many times when you talk about, when you hear, sorry, um, you know, you hear this, the word quota, and DNI mentioned, um, you know, and, and we're similar ourselves here at, at Transition Partners. In that, it's always about it's it's about personality. We're recruitment with personality. We hire based on personality. We hire based on people and their you know not their backgrounds. Not um, you know it's just you know like you said like you said you can teach um, the experience but not the skill um, necessarily. So. As a woman in tech, um, like how have you combated gender bias throughout your career? Um, you know, is there anything that you've personally um, had to kind of, ex you know, have you, have you personally experienced this as a, a challenge that you've had to overcome at any point throughout your career? Um, I would, I would absolutely say so. I don't know many women that wouldn't. I think when you sit and think about the nuance of how gender bias can manifest we'll all have come across it in some way, shape or form throughout careers to date. So one of my earliest interviews I ever had when I left uni, I was asked by a man doing the interview if I had any intentions on having children. And 
shouldn't be allowed to ask that. Even pretty confident you wouldn't have asked a man that question. So why did I need to get asked that question? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that for me made it, when I then went on maternity leave with my first baby mm-hmm. um, and was looking for a move after that, I was almost terrified of, you know, gosh, what if they find out that I've got a baby? Why if they're not going to give me a job because I've got a baby and they're going to think that I'm going to be really aloof and not be able to keep to time and things like that. So that I found took like me a little bit of time to convince myself that that was just like one bad experience and not everywhere is going to be like that. And as I say, you know, where I am now, my kids are fully part of the team. Um, I mean, I've been subject to the usual typecasting in meetings. So if you sat in a, a meeting with a lot of guys in there, you know, I'll be the one that gets asked to take notes or I'd be the one that would get asked to make the coffees or expected to answer the phone and mm. little things like that where you just think to yourself, pretty confident you wouldn't have asked Simon to do that so why what makes me other than my gender what can possibly be the reason that's made you ask me that question instead of somebody else um I've in roles that I've been in where guys have been brought into the same team as me um they've been brought in on significantly higher salaries than I've been brought in on um and you know I've I'm not naive. I understand that you know people get salaries on based on skill and capability, and you know good for them for negotiating a great deal for them. But there's got to be a, an acknowledgement of the gender pay gap and how that affects women. And we can't be penalised for being the ones that go and have the babies and take the maternity leave, and then think that it's all okay for other people to overtake us from a salary perspective just because we've chosen to go and do those things. Um, in terms of combating that. Um, as I say, I, I had to have had to have across my career a few chats with myself um, <laughs> around, you know, come on, Kat, is that really right? Should should we let that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it was about finding that voice and that confidence, even when it felt really uncomfortable to do that, and having conversations with, you know, men mainly where um, I've been met with sort of unfairness or outdated views borderline chauvinism narcissism in certain environments um so for me it was just about making sure that from my perspective I felt like I'd done all that I could to try and level that playing field and having those open and honest conversations standing up for myself um you know professionally and authentically standing my ground where I needed to and where I wanted to and sometimes it doesn't work and so you know I've, I've left roles because of feeling undervalued not necessarily because of being a woman but you know it builds on those examples of gender bias and other issues and you know that then can start to make you feel really undervalued in a role and um, I as I've got older and you know sort of further into my career find that Having some strong female role models and people that I follow on things like LinkedIn and Instagram and good recommendations of books to read just to try and support that internal narrative of, you know, worthiness and kick the imposter syndrome and that stuff's super important for me and surrounding myself with positive narrative um, and trying to do that within my team as well. I would never want them to be subject to that. I would want them to be able to come and talk to me if they ever felt like they had been. Um, we've got a little library at Curious now where people can recommend books and take books out. So I'll be yeah. pushing. I think that um, internal monologue is like the biggest thing, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've had it um, over the years and, and it's tough. And I think 
sometimes for us it can feel like a bit of a lonely place as well um, and it's kind of like well you know who who do you talk to and who can you have those authentic open like honest conversations with um, and it is yeah like I, I don't know about you but I've often interviewed men in the past and I've been like how are you going to feel about working for me and you know it's just it is just always there because it's been built yeah. from so many years that it it just it has become a thing hasn't it um which and you, you, you do make it worse in your head like I am my own worst enemy sometimes yeah. um <laughs> the imposter syndrome is very real um and you know you, you sometimes you have to take a step back and say to yourself no I earned this and I deserve this yeah. and I am now lucky enough to because of you know things I've done myself to be in a position where I can influence how this works in our business and try and make sure that some of the stuff that I've seen doesn't happen to the other women that I work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely I agree. Um, I also hear that you're um, passionate about, um, you're involved in mentoring and you're passionate about giving back to the community, um, which is something that I'm really kind of, um, like my own personal goal and, and values, but also um, I've brought that into to our business as well. Um, so I'd really be I'd be more interested to hear um, about that because there's so much of it going on at the minute in the community, but there's still it. Do, I don't know about you, but it just still feels like you're banging your head against a brick wall because it's just so difficult to continue to make positive change or to have as much impact as you can because there's so much you know there's so much work there to be done. So I understand that you're that you mentor women from disadvantaged backgrounds. Yes, yes. So I am um, a mentor with the Girls Network. Um, so um, they work to pair girls from the least advantaged communities with um, a mentor across a network of professional women. Um, so you go into their programs for a year at a time and they are, tend to be girls between 14 and 16 from various mm-hmm. high schools all over the country and you are matched with them and work with them on a range of things and it could be something really straightforward like a girl wants to be a doctor and there's a mentor within the program that's a doctor and she knows what she wants to do and that's a really straightforward match and she can sort of support them through that career move um or it can be more nuanced than that it you know it can be they need some help with building confidence or they're not sure where to start with their careers or they just need some help but they're not sure what that is um, so we went to a talk that was run um, around women in social housing back in March 2021, 21, 22. Um, and speaking at that event was one of the mentees from one of the Girls Network cohorts. Mm-hmm. And the way she spoke, the passion with which she spoke, the impact it had on her life sort of set a fire amongst the team that it would be really good to get involved with stuff like that. And that, you know, that was a direct route that we could see that we could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of us very quickly jumped on that um, to try and get involved in that. And I am currently halfway through um, my first year of being a mentor with them. My mentee is um, lovely. She's from the local area. She's not really sure what she wants to do. But what I've found is that when it, my, in my experience of you know trying to help make positive change in the community and, and sort of mentor people from disadvantaged backgrounds into you know careers like this it's it's about linking the people with the potential to succeed with the opportunity to do that and what I've found through 
my time with the Girls Network and what I've seen from people that I've spoken to is that the best thing you can give to them is your time. They're, yeah. they're not asking for more than that. They, they just need your time and somebody to talk to. And, you know, as part of that imposter syndrome, I've sat and thought, well, I don't really understand why anyone would want to talk to me as a mentor. Yeah. But very quickly, as you sort of get into those conversations, you realise that, you know, you were that person once and yeah, yeah. you didn't, I didn't know everything I wanted to do when I was 14, 15, 16. So it, it's all right to not be sure. And it, if I'd had somebody in a professional role that was mentoring me when I was that age, the difference I think that would have made to my life and my career would have been huge. Mm, um, and I think in terms of how people can support with making that positive change in the community, it's looking for things like the Girls Network, seeing what's available. Um, we, as a business, have just partnered up with TechUp at Durham University. Um, mm -hmm. They specialise in um, running blended learning training programmes. Mm -hmm. They help people from minority groups into entry-level tech roles. So, you know, we're keen to try and mentor, empower, confidence build, get involved in those programmes as best we can. Yeah. And really just try and make that difference. So one of the team very recently brought to me the idea of, could we try and do some talks in local primary schools to get kids interested in tech and, and what we do and show them that there's roots into this sort of role that you might not have thought of. Um, and that, you know, there are the opportunities there. And I, I, as in the privileged role that I have as COO, want to be able to try and influence and open as many doors as I can so that people can take those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that it's about raising that awareness at a young age, isn't it? And knowing and giving them the confidence that there are other ways and opportunities and routes. Um, and, and, and like you say, it's that spending that time with them, but also sharing your knowledge, your experience, and you know, putting them in touch with other people, the network, um, and it's just, I think there's so many um, advantages for them. And also it is really kind of, especially if we, like as we, you know, we suffer from imposter syndrome, it's really nice and rewarding and it does make you feel like actually I can make an impact. Even if it's just one person at a time, we're making a difference and we're making an impact. Um, so it's really, really inspiring that. Um, as a... A huge DNI um, advocate within the business. How um, do you feel um, an advocate can like kind of really make a working environment more inclusive? Um, you know, more inclusive place to work for everyone. What, what have you done at Curious that has worked well? Um, so the main thing for me around DNI is a lot of businesses talk about it now a lot of people talk about it now and I, the, the main thing for me was yes it's something I'm passionate about and I categorically never wanted it to be something that we just paid lip service to or that yeah. we just had a policy around because it's the right thing to do you know I recognize how important that diversity piece is because that gives people the space in the room but the inclusion means that they have a seat and a voice in their head and that's what I wanted to make sure that our culture encouraged um and, you know, within the industry that we're in, we are all about innovation and things like that. And it can't go unnoticed that with diversity in a business comes diversity of thought and more innovative a culture and an environment. And that brings you happier people. And, you know, there's so many levels to it and so many elements to being an advocate for DNI. 
and I just can't stress enough how important it is, but also how straightforward it can be to make those changes and those small changes that can make such a difference. Um, you know, it's very easy to articulate the merit of having it, a, you know, DNI as a focus, both culturally and commercially. Um, and things like, you know, sensitivity training, not ramming it down people's throats, letting them involve themselves as much as they want to, but making sure that people recognise things like unconscious bias and microaggressions and things like that, that they might not even be aware that mm. are things that they're doing in ways that they speak or ways that they might go about things. And, you know, I've been really keen as we've gone through that cultural change and we've overhauled our HR policies to make sure that the culture is one of inclusion where people feel like they can contribute and be themselves and be treated equally. And, you know, we've overhauled those policies to make sure that we don't have a maternity policy. We have a parental leave policy. So it encompasses anybody that could be a parent. It's not just women. It's not just men. It, it's everybody. And our, you know, our promotion structures, our pay structures, our well-being policies, codes of conduct, all of that stuff, D&I goes through that intrinsically to everything. Um, you know, we include it in all of our hiring and onboarding processes. We try and eliminate any bias from the outset, whether that's, you know, blind CVs or blind interviews. Mm -hmm. We also have here um, a thing that we call the Culture Club. Um, so it's a cross-section of the business. It's people from various departments who um, are essentially the custodians of all things curious culture. And that's not just social committee as much as that is absolutely something that we do. <laughs> Um, but D&I comes up in that and it's a thread that runs through all of the things that they do and it, it's, you know, inclusion on every level. So not just inclusion of gender or orientation, things like how do we make sure that remote workers feel like they're included in everything yeah, which and be a tough one, I find. really tricky. Yeah. So, you know, having that advocate, having that voice in the business, similarly to when I was speaking about the values earlier and how we bring those to life for people. It means different things to different people. And I think it's just having that demonstration of, you know, it's important here and we can manifest being advocates for this in so many different ways. And you don't have to scream it from the rooftops and stand and do talks in front of people. There's other things that you can do to advocate for this within our business. And it's letting people make those decisions for themselves and having the environment that supports them to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love that. Love the uh, the culture club um like you say, it does sound like it's mainly made up of socials, but um, no, it sounds, um, sounds great. So um, lastly, I think it'd be really interesting to end on um, a little bit, a bit of advice. I mean, there's been some great, um, particularly around DNI, there's been some great nuggets of um, bite-sized information that I'm confident that people will be able to take away and, and utilise and, and learn from this um, podcast today. Um, but it'd be really interesting to just kind of end on what career um, advice that you could give, like what's the kind of, yeah, top thing, that the bit around career advice that you could give to aspirational leaders that they should be doing in order to, to step up right now? So I would say um, a mentor of mine once said that your comfort zone is where your ambitions go to die. And that is something that I think could not be more true. Um, so getting out of your comfort zone, doing all of the things that feel really scary, flipping the imposter syndrome on its head and changing the narrative. Um, you know, I, I said earlier, I, my career is not what I thought it was going to look like. And that's okay. 
it's all right yeah. to not know where you want to get to and what you want to do. Um, and when we spoke around gender bias and how to overcome that, um, there is a saying up in Newcastle that shy burns getting out. So, you know, <laughs> ask for what you want. It's yours to ask for. It's yours to take. Um, I think that's helped me massively in my career. There's no shame in asking. There's no shame in seeking support. You know, we all have networks of people that are more than happy to let us draw on them and seek support from them when we need to. Um, in terms of aspiring leaders, the one thing that I would say within that that is really important for me is to just be authentic because if yeah. people don't think that you'll be in you, they're never going to buy into that. So, yes, be professional and, you know, yes, there's a version of Cat that is, you know, COO Cat, but mm -hmm. it, it's not just that, you know, I don't speak differently to the people at, at work than I would to the like my friendship group or people in a networking environment, you know. People see the version of me that is a leader rather than being surprised by the version of me when I'm not in leader role. Yeah. Um, and I just think that that's really important in, you know, building trust within a team as well. You know, if people think that they're seeing the real me, then what doesn't, you know, there's no downside of that. Yeah. Um, you definitely get my buy-in, don't you? Like, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's huge. Um. And then the last thing I would say is um, I remember when I was thinking about applying for this job um, and I was nervous about doing it because I'm pretty confident there's stats somewhere that say if you look at a job description, a man will apply for a job if he thinks he hits 60 or 70 percent of what it asks for. But a woman would want to hit about 80, 90. I think that's about right. And I would just I read the job description. And I thought, you know, I can probably do most of that, but maybe not all of it. And I remember a guy I was sat next to was like, look. Richard Branson said something like, if somebody offers you an opportunity and you don't know if you can do it, you say yes, and then you figure it out. And I think that really resonated because I just thought, you know, what am I scared? Like, I, I know I could do that job. I just needed to get out of my head and get the imposter syndrome to shut down and sort of take the fear and run with it. I'm, I'm pretty mm -hmm. confident. There's a book, some, my mum told me to read it when I was younger, called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Um, so I think that, like, stepping out of your comfort zone, being authentically you, shy Ben's getting out, ask for what you need, you know, it, it's there for you to take it, you yeah. get one shot at this, so you might as well take it. No, absolutely, I absolutely love all those points there, um, and uh, yeah, I, I've always been the kind of, yeah, I've always been similar in that if you don't ask, you're not going to get, um, and you know, it's and a lot of it is mindset, like I even say to my seven-year-old, you know, and he's like, he's getting frustrated and he can't do something. I'm like, you can, you can do anything that you want to do if you put your mind to it and you've got a more of a positive mindset. Um, and, uh, and I've always been the same as a, a leader and, and throughout my career. Um, it's, it is tough and it's, you know, we do have, as a lot of people have imposter syndrome to deal with and, but it, it absolutely, it's, um, you know, kind of just, putting your mind to it you can do anything if you put your mind to it um and just take on that challenge and like you said put you push yourself out of your comfort zone which is really daunting um at times but it's you you, you always you always feel better afterwards for doing it as well don't you you do and I think for me it stepped up a gear when I had my daughter because all of the things mm. that I feel, I, I'm sure this is the same for many parents, if not all, all of the things that you feel like you've struggled with, you want to try and make sure that they don't. And I think yeah. of, you know, scenarios I've found myself in and how would I want 
will her to feel in that environment and would I ever want her to come up against that so for me all of this leveled up when I had a daughter and wanted to make sure that you know she had all of the opportunities that she deserves and then when I had my son making sure that you know he's brought up in a way that recognizes the importance of inclusion and removes the barriers and and you know bangs that drum for all of us Fantastic. Um, well, thank you very much for your time today um, for sharing your valuable um, experiences with us. And I, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. If um, if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, um, you know, you may get some listeners wanting to get in touch with you about possible mentorship or just wanting to, you to expand on anything that you've discussed today. How's best for them to reach you? Um, of course, um, they can get me on LinkedIn and just, if you just search for Catherine Blight rather than Cat, or if you search for Curious, I'll come up as the COO at the business. Drop me a message through LinkedIn and I am more than happy to chat. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time again. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to be here. Thanks for listening to our latest Let's Talk Leadership, the Culture Edit Reloaded podcast. If you are a leader interested in being on the hot seat, contact me via LinkedIn Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Take care and see you all soon.